I love this. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gratitude Unfiltered. Mm. This is Joshua T. Berglund. I'm your host. Um, I'm super excited about tonight, but really quick, I want to give a shout out to iHeartRadio, to Spotify, to TuneIn, to Stitcher. I, I love watching this audience grow. It's a lot of fun because it started from zero people and it's grown a lot. So I'm so grateful for the downloads. But more importantly, I'm grateful uh, to Facebook. I, I appreciate you guys. I it's It's been a lot of fun over the last two years to, to no, not two years. Oh my gosh, it's only been a year since we started doing this. And it started off something on my phone and then it's grown to a network and, and it's really, really cool. And now to have the opportunity to add other shows to uh, my network, that's that's exciting. Uh, what's up, John? Good to see you guys. Um, so I'm going to be adding, just to put this out here, on Live Mono Worldwide, my website or theworldsmare.com. You can, like, I'm going to be selecting five podcasts to join, podcast slash live streams to join. Um, and I'm going to pitch us like a network. I'm going to bring in sponsors. I'm going to bring in, do the things that I love to do. What's up, Veronica? Um, I still haven't congratulated you on your marriage, so congratulations on that. Anyway, so I'm going to be adding different shows to the the platform and just having fun with this and bringing everybody sponsors and helping you you know get you get you guys paid for your content because I think your content's valuable and I want to help you support support you in doing it. I've been helping people do it behind the scenes, so now it's time to do it for other people that I care about. So I'm looking for four more shows uh i actually just added a really amazing show um so the generosity show and i have mr noodleberg who is going to be joining the platform also he's got an amazing show um he's also you can hear him on espn radio and uh i'm seeking some other ones i'm hoping to get the bald avenger to join um but anyway listen i love you guys i appreciate the support because it's grown and we're just putting this together ourselves we're doing it uh I don't want to conform to anybody else's way. I just want to do things the way that I feel led to do them and apologize later if I need to. Um, so I'm just creating this platform for you guys. So please make your recommendations. Uh, radio audience, you can check us out at facebook.com slash gratitude unfiltered. So one of the reasons why I want to be in radio so bad, the reason why I'm so passionate about doing this, um, the reason why I have gratitude unfiltered and morning gratitude, the reason why is because as a little kid, I grew up in the back seat listening to my father talk about rock stars or listening on KOMMA and listening to the disc jockey interview freaking um, you know, celebrities and rock stars and comedians. But nothing got grabbed my attention more than talk radio. And I a lot of a lot of people that know who Opie and Anthony is and knows who Howard Stern is. Um, they had a big rivalry for years, and I was such a radio geek that I got into that little controversy, and I chose sides. But the reason why is because I love the way that their show was formatted, where they would have comedians come on the show or writers, comedic writers, come on the show and just hang out and just talk and and just and you really got to know people like I'm, I'm a Joe Rogan fan because I knew Joe Rogan before he ever had a podcast. Like some people only know him for his podcast. I knew him when he was a struggling stand-up comedian going on Opie and Anthony. And then he just blew up not because of Opie and Anthony necessarily, but 
I got to know his personality and became a fan that way. That's the beauty of talk radio is people talk and they get to know people. So I'm obsessed with people that write for comedy. I love writers in general. I'm inspired by them because I find it so difficult to write because I write in circles like a typical dyslexic. Um, I talk in circles. I write in circles. I do this like big hyperloop all the time. That's how I do things. Anyway, but I'm, a, I'm, I'm so passionate and inspired by them almost more than I am motivational speakers or coaches. And that's been a gist of what this show has had on because everybody's a freaking coach on Facebook. My God, like seriously, how many coaches do we need? Anyway, I love comedians. I love funny people. I love creatives. I really love writers. So I'm super stoked to have Chris Illuminati join the show. And I, I want you guys to listen to this. This is amazing. I typically don't read bi bios, but he's written for Rolling Stone, Bro Bible. And if you haven't seen brobible.com, it's, it's awesome. Uh, Outside Game, The Daily Dot, and Fatherly. But he also wrote for Penthouse. I don't think, there it is. He wrote for Maximum Penthouse too. I, I don't even know if we're gonna even talk about that, but that's kind of amazing. But he's an accomplished and sought after writer with over 12, year, 12 years experience of editing, copywriting, and online content creation. He's a freaking genius and he became highly recommended from a few different people. And I'm just excited about this because I have no idea what I'm gonna ask him, but we're gonna try to have fun anyway. So thank you for your support. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Christopher Illuminati. Hi, everybody. How you so, doing, man? I mean, we already have something shared in common. I, huge ONA fan from way back, like WNEW days. I used to, now we're talking about, so this was pre-podcast. Yeah. So you listen to this stuff and you had to hear it live. And if you didn't, you could maybe catch something on Napster or someone recorded something and you kind of got it on a CD somewhere. Like you couldn't just listen to it at any time. Like you had to be by radio, which few people are now. <laughs> so I go way back with ONA. And I didn't know about them until after Sex for Sam, because when I was choosing satellite radio providers, I was never really into Howard and I heard about Opie and Anthony. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to choose that car because they had free satellite radio. Mm -hmm. That's how I was introduced to them. But then I went, in, I went back and started listening to their old bits. And it was, it, it's brilliant. It's offensive. Like the show offended me all the time, but I still listened anyway. Well, that's why. That's why you listen. <laughs> Isn't that strange about the human psyche? Yeah, I think that that's one thing that about comedy, like, um, Everybody finds something kind of funny until it offends them. Then they don't find it funny anymore. Right. So um, sometimes when you uh, do offend people, that's when you know you really touched a nerve. And that's when you're like, oh, okay, so I should keep kind of poking at this. And all the people you mentioned, like ONA and Joe Rogan, they do that. And that's what they do so well. And especially guys like that, um, what makes them so funny is they just don't care. Especially like a Joe Rogan, like he knows he's going to offend some people. Right. If you watch his stand up, there, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to point, I was probably offended by something he said, but it's comedy and you just get over it. So, why is it that in comedy we can get over it, but not in real life? I think it's because, you know, the entire setup, it's supposed to be funny. 
So if you're at a uh, if you're at a show, you're there to laugh, and everything is there to like kind of make people laugh, shock value. When it's said in casual conversation, it's way different. Like you're almost not ready for it. <laughs> That's true. I mean, like if you're if you're sitting there and we're having coffee and I burn you really bad, you're offended. But if mm -hmm. I say the same thing to you, but I'm standing on a stage with a mic in my hand, okay, it's funny. Like it's just a different, it's a different atmosphere of it. That's why. So that's why people get offended when it's not when it, you know, when it's not in the context of a comedy show or something. Have you ever seen? Um, did you ever watch the 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 series on CNN, The History of Comedy? Yes, I did. I did. Tell me what that experience is. Somebody that has written. I mean, you're well accomplished, and you you know, in, in comedy and just as a as a writer in general. Hmm. But as somebody that comes from comedy roots, hmm. at least how I understand it, how did that show watching that make you feel? Like, what kind of emotions came up for you? Well, I mean, the the thing that always strikes me, and then people don't realize, like, even the greatest comics, they start from zero. And they go on stage and probably no one laughs and they do it again over and over and over and over. And there's there's kind of a like a sadistic quality to a comic that you would go on a stage and you would try to make people laugh and no one would laugh. And this has happened to me, too. So you go on a stage, you try to make people laugh. No one laughs. And when you get off stage, the first thing you think is. I'm totally going to try that again. <laughs> like that's how you know that you're truly destined to do something in comedy. It's the the nights that you don't get laughs are more inspirational than than the nights that you kill it. It's kind of like cuz killing it versus eating your ass on stage and not getting being able to be rescued from it. Mm. Basically, the is that it is like winning the Super Bowl bowl versus winning or you know losing a game, right? Right. It's yeah. the time. And you remember those bad nights when you do have a good night, especially yeah. when it's the same joke with just like a little tweak that no one laughed at the first time, and then all of a sudden it like it kills. And it's also very um, comedy is also very personal. So right. because this crowd didn't like it doesn't mean this crowd's not gonna like it and it's it's really hard to to get used to like okay well it's funny to me as long as it's funny to you keep trying it that would be my first piece of advice for anybody writing comedy if it makes you laugh keep doing it what would you this is completely random but okay. take like new york has is known for their certain style of comedy and then you have la like there's la comics the way that I've heard it described is comedians in LA are there looking for a TV gig. Comedians mm -hmm. in New York, they're there doing it for the art of comedy. Is that an accurate description? You know, that does sound kind of correct. I've, I've never done comedy in LA, so I can't really judge. Right. But I feel like um, a lot of the people that do it on the West Coast, it's kind of like, well, comedy is one thing that I do, but I'm also kind of trying to do these other things. Whereas a lot of the people that I met while doing stand-up in New York, it's like, this is all I do. I'm going to do five shows after this. Uh, I might go for a commercial tomorrow, but mostly this is what I do. So there's more of a kind of like it's this or nothing. Whereas L.A., it's like, oh, but I'm also like an actor and I can sing. And I can, there's more of a they're, – they're more versatile. Whereas New York, it's like this is all I got. And if this doesn't work out, I'm a waiter. And that's it. <laughs> 
So was your love of comedy, was it born out of misery? You know, I've often thought about that because I, I don't think I was a miserable kid. I was a slightly lonely kid because I was an only child. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I was an only child. Still am. My parents didn't decide to have kids later. <laughs> like, remain an only child. <laughs> it's not like they one day went, oh, we're now we're gonna have kids now. Um, I and I, I also grew up in the era where it was like the stand-up comedy boom. So you could not flip through TV without landing on some type of stand-up comedy show. And it was on like VH1 and like the regular like uh, basic cable channels and the HBO Young Comedian specials and the Carlin specials were always on. Like they were like stand-up comedy was basically on every channel. So as a kid growing up suburban New Jersey flipping through TV, I was a huge um, Carson fan. I loved watching The Tonight Show. Um, I love watching those types of shows when they brought the comedian out. So it always kind of appealed to me, like, here's this guy up here trying to make everybody laugh. Um, so that's really kind of what appealed to me. And it was like a solo thing because I was always solo. You know, we'd go on family trips. It's only me. We'd go to dinner. It's only me. Sit at the dinner table. It's me. So I think that's what attracted me before. Awful. What's that? It, it sounds awful for me. For some reason, like, it's making me uncomfortable because I, like, I'm here alone right now, right? My wife's not here. Right. And all of a sudden, I just realized I'm alone, and then I'm like, oh, God, I don't like this. Like, what is that? You, you know, it, it never bothered me until I had kids. And then I saw the dynamic between my son and my daughter. Really? And I'm like, okay, now I know what I was missing. Because <laughs> you don't know until you see yeah. it. Like I saw friends with brothers and sisters, but I didn't live with it. Mm -hmm. I live with it. You're like, oh, oh, so that's what, so that's what it's like to always have a person to play with in the next room. <laughs> so, I, as a performer, which I like, as a comedian, even as a writer, it's art. It's it's truly art, in my opinion, and which is, I think, most people would agree. I mean, writing is an art. It, yeah. It's an art form. There's a style. Um, and then, so you, you know, chosen comedian, uh, you know, you write a lot of comedy and I'm, I want to talk to you about some of the other, uh, the writing that you do, mm -hmm. but it's an emotional ride to write, mm -hmm. even if you're writing all positive stuff. It's an emotional ride because there's that internal, like, is this good enough? Am I funny? Am I, am I getting my point across? I mean, in my limited experience in writing, like it's a miserable, it's exhausting. It's mm -hmm. emotionally exhausting. And maybe it's what I'm writing about, but it wears me out. Mm -hmm. In doing that, it's almost like you have to spend a lot of time with personal development, you know, whatever your like gratitude practice is, whatever, you know, whatever you're doing to like, you know, build yourself up where you're positive and you can handle the BS that happens throughout the day with mm -hmm. grace. Do you have a gratitude practice? Do you have like a morning routine that you do to help you get in the flow of writing? Um, not so much writing, but I have within the past year developed different gratitude. I've uh, been listening to a lot of um, motivational stuff in the morning. Um, cool. to, uh, Tony Robbins, Les Brown, Jim Rohn, um, basically the like the godfathers <laughs> of uh, motivational. And what I like, um, so take, let's take Les Brown as an example. Um, he makes me laugh 
as many times as he makes me think. Like sure. the guy is very funny. Like you could see, like, I don't know if he would have had a career as a comedian, but you can kind of see the influences of a, like maybe a Richard Pryor or like a, that kind of thing. Like he's, he's a little bit more focused on telling the truth and not getting the jokes, but the jokes are there. Right. So I do, I, I do enjoy the guy. Jim Rohn's also funny. Like I tend to go towards the guys. Tony Robbins makes jokes. I tend to go towards the guys that kind of bring it around with humor. So in the morning I do listen to all that stuff and I've tried to be more grateful for the things that I do have. Uh, when you're, when you write comedy, you kind of get very self, uh, you do, you turn the, the microscope on you and it is easy to get bummed out because you're, you're really poking jokes and you're the funny stuff always comes from deep within. And when you keep poking holes in yourself and making fun of yourself, it's really easy to get, you know, low on yourself. Right. You're making fun of yourself for 20 minutes or when you're writing stuff down, like for example, the, um, the parenting notes that I do, a lot of the jokes that I write on those parenting notes are kind of like, I'm the butt of the joke. And a lot of the jokes are like, sometimes I'm not so great at this. Mm-hmm. And then if you start reading them like in a row, you, I look at them and I think to myself, wow, I'm really down on myself with the way I do this, but that's what the comedy is. And I think that's why people gravitate towards them because just with anything in life, you, you don't know if you're doing a great job. You just don't know. And it, the, the, the topics are relatable. And it's what people have thought about the job that they're doing as a parent. And it's like, oh, oh, this person feels just as inadequate as I do, except they're a little bit funnier about it. <laughs> like, that's what I think it is. Plug your Instagram really quick because it's brilliant. It's really Thank funny. Thank you. Will you plug it? Oh, it's uh, at message with a bottle. Uh, okay, yeah. It, at message with a bottle. It is a really funny. It, it, it's such a cool thing that you've done because I've not seen anyone else do it. Mm-hmm. A unique idea and what it because you know there's stand-up there's sitcoms there's street corner there's you know in the bar with your buddies there's in the, there's there's all kinds of places to be funny and there's a place for comedy everywhere and you found something truly unique on instagram as a way of expressing your 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 comedic truth right it's really i think it's really cool so i definitely check recommend i highly recommend checking out his instagram Thank you. So who were your comedic influences that may don't, I know there's obvious ones because there's a core of comedians, but one that may surprise us. One that may surprise you. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's the obvious usual suspects of like Carlin and all of those Uh, growing up. I did listen to Dennis Leary a lot. I, I replayed his stuff over and over again. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that was probably early on in life like, you know, like in my teen years, whatever I could get my hands on. Um, right. You know, uh, when they do, when we did this, did they, I, they showed a lot of stand-up specials when I was a kid, the young comedian stuff, you know, the Bobcats and those types of guys. I, I feel like um, everyone is slightly an influence when it comes to comedy and not just like the way people write jokes, but how they present themselves on stage. Hmm. And you look at the way like a Bobcat does it compared to like a Stephen Wright. You know, it's like they're both funny people, but it's like one is very, you know, 
slow and cerebral where the other one is just like in your face, like, like Sam Kinison in your face, you know, guys like that. So while you don't emulate them, you do appreciate their style and you take um, a little things from it. If I, I mean, if I had to think of people who you wouldn't imagine, oh man. I mean, like everyone says Mitch Hedberg is hilarious. Like guy where just the, 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 that's joke writing at its core, but you're like, it's so simple yet so brilliant. You're just like, I, I, it's so easy, but yet I never could have thought of that in a hundred years. And it's stuff like that, that really like wows me that I really took to. So, and I want to segue into your writing, but I'm fascinated with the comedy stuff. Cause I like, I have all these questions about it. Cause I've talked about it all day. So <laughs> I used to call into ONA to try to get on the air. Like to, cause I loved the stories that were going on and I, and everyone, What's amazing to me, because at the core, I think comedy comes from the same place, but everyone's story about it is different. Right. And that's amazing. And that's why so much, there's so much to laugh at, if anything, ourselves. And you're proving that. But what was going to ask you now, dead gummit? I, I went off on one of my little hyperloops and then I got okay, we'll, we'll find it. We'll get you back. <laughs> it's, um, ah, dead gummit. Well, I, I do. Okay. So writing. Mm. There's a there's quite the there's quite the um, the difference in some of the different magazines you've been in. How in the world did you end up in Penthouse? And I know that's a cheap question, but like, how did you end up in there? Going from some of the other stuff that you've done, like Rolling Stone and Penthouse. The the Penthouse stuff that I did was very first person um, articles that you would see in any other magazine. But right. at the time, they were trying. They you know Penthouse has always um, published that kind of stuff. My first article that I wrote for them, um, so buddies of mine were going to New Orleans for a bachelor party, mm -hmm. and one of the things that they were going to do was uh, they have this like running of the bulls, where you run through the streets of New Orleans and roller derby girls chase you with like loaded wiffle ball bats, and they like s they smash you you know nicely while you're running, and it's like a mile and a half run at like eight o'clock in the morning. And then it ends with like drinking at like nine, depending on how long you run. But so I pitched Penthouse, like I want to write about that. And at the time, no one had really written about it. And they were like, sure. So that was one of the first articles that I did. So it was very like first person guy oriented stuff. And then that led to like Ask Men and all those other publications. I know what I was going to ask you now. Okay. I had to throw a cheap question out there just to buy me time while I could remember. Yeah. What, is, what is offensive to you? Like, what is too far for you? <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, I don't, like I said before, it's offensive if someone who's like not trying to be funny says something to be funny. If a comedian says it, I'm not going to be offended. But if like a, let's say a president or a, uh, congressman or someone along those lines says something i won't be offended but i'll be like dude that's not it's not in your wheelhouse like keep keep to yourself i won't get offended but i'll be like that's now you're really kind of stretching i mean i don't know i've yet i'm sure i've been offended at some points but nothing where i'm like oh that sticks with me forever <laughs> right see i'm kind of like that too what well, is Usually when you're offended, it means someone's shining the spotlight on something that you're not happy with for yourself. 
Uh, yeah. So that, that is true. It's so very with yourself, you can maybe not be offended as much. What is a subject that if you if you could write? What is a subject that you could write that like, that you want that's on your heart to write about, but for whatever reason, you're you've held back or not done it. Uh, I wish I could be a little bit more honest about myself in written form. I could. I'm, I'm usually honest saying jokes and like maybe putting it in a quick post-it note, but like a really long form, like honest about things in my life. I sometimes pull back just because I'm like, uh, what if this person reads it or this person reads it? Like I try to keep other people's, um, you know, feelings in mind. So sometimes right. I wish I could just be, cause I know it's going to offend a person, but right. For the greater good, it like needs to be read <laughs> and heard. So I feel like sometimes I wish I could just be like, screw it. Like I, I kind of almost wish I had zero contact with anyone in my life for like a good year and then wrote everything I wanted and got it all out there. And then in a year, whoever's still around <laughs> and willing to talk to me, then I guess they're okay with it. <laughs> I think that would be a really funny bit to see acted out. Yeah. Someone reenacting that scenario. Just Ooh. like a year of just saying, and it's really hard now too, because you know, with like some of the jokes I make on the notes, eventually my kids are going to read them. So That's there's true. that, you know, so I have to be careful, like what I say, how I say, it, you know, so that part kind of gets to me now. <laughs> like I can make fun of them as a baby. They couldn't read it, <laughs> but now that they're getting older, they can see it. I can't even imagine like what that's like for public figures. When you just the, some of the comments or even athletes, like they'll tweet something five years ago when they were in high school and now they're grown up. I mean, if I could read tweets that I would have written back then, oh, yeah. I, I can't even imagine what life would be like. Yeah. That's why you got to go and do a clean sweep of your social media. <laughs> like if you know you're going to be famous, just like kind of the clean sweep. But the good thing is like, it, for someone like me, um, I do things in a comedic vein. So if I said something slightly offensive five years ago, people see the rest of the work that I've done. And they're like, oh, he's trying to be funny. Unless it's something <laughs> awfulness, which I usually tend to stay away from. But um, so that in those cases, but if you're like um, a major league baseball player and six years ago you said something offensive on Twitter – like you're not a comedian and also things like that. Like it's so taken out of context. Like you don't know what it was in reference to five, six years ago. You're just taking it as you're reading it in that moment. Like it, you don't know. Because no one knew the rules either back then either. No, we still don't know the rules. I mean, do we really know the rules of social media? No. And they change. It's a sliding scale. It's whatever is going to be controversial that day, I would believe. But I mean, even back then, I don't think we were all just kind of jumping into this world without any knowledge of what the consequences were and or are. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting to me where we're going mm -hmm. uh, because one, people are getting offended easier. Mm -hmm. They're so sensitive. And I'm, I mean, hell, I'm even guilty. I, I'm finding myself offended for no reason sometimes because of something I'll watch something that's older mm -hmm. and I'm like, 
I'll my, minorly get offended by it. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm not offended by that. Like, why am I even acting offended right now? Mm-hmm. Which makes no sense. But it's yeah. just now we know that you can't say that. Or that we've been told we can't say that. Right. Like, you can't say retard. Right. And I'm not, and, and I get it. It's insensitive. Mm-hmm. But, but how many times have we said that in our lives? I'm not trying to throw you under the bus because I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. You've used it as just being stupid. Like, you're not really even meaning right. anything by it, but that's the word that you used. It wasn't meant mean spirited, but now you look at it, it seems so bad. Yeah. St- stuff like that, I understand because eventually, I mean, we probably deep down always kind of knew a word like that was offensive, but now like when it's brought to light, like, Oh, it was, but I'm always, I'm always marveling at like the other day I saw an article where uh, someone said, Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving is now racist. It is. Because I think it was like, like there was a, uh, there's a, I don't remember the black kid's name in it. Like he's on one side of the Thanksgiving table and like everyone else is on the other. I forget what the whole context of it was. Like Uh, when you start finding things now in stuff that's been out 50, 60 years, that's the kind of stuff. Like if that was a cartoon today mm -hmm. and that happened, then yes, totally. I get it. But like in the context of 40 years ago and not saying it was okay, but that might not even have been the intention 40 years ago. And so now when we start nitpicking on stuff that's, you know, years old, I'm always of the feeling that that stuff should go away anyway. Like Charlie, like the Charlie Brown stuff. It's, I know it's a tradition. It's so terrible. Like my kids don't watch it. It's like the original super Mario brothers. It's terrible. Like who would watch this? Like, you know, but it's other, it's generations passing it down. And you're like, did you really like it? Or did you like it because it happened at Thanksgiving time and you just like that time of year. Like, do you, could you really sit down and go, this is really a great cartoon. <laughs> Speaking of traditions with Christmas movies is mm-hmm. the movie with the little blonde kid that you'll shoot your eye out. Uh, the, uh, what's the name of that movie? And there had, what is it? Christmas story. So is that, is, is that timeless? Does that fall into the same category as Charlie Brown or is that still good? I think that I think ones like that work. I don't, I, I don't I can't remember anything from Christmas Story that would be bad. But you did just remind me of something that I, I told someone the other day, and they were fascinated. And I'll bring it up to you because it's got to do with comedy and offensive and everything that we're actually talking about right here and Christmas time. <laughs> uh, it actually wraps up every. It actually brings everything, and we could talk about like what is offensive. So I brought this up to a friend the other day, and they were like mesmerized that I was actually saying this. Uh, I went to a Catholic grammar school from first through eighth grade. I distinctly remember in eighth grade. So, you know, how it gets closer to Christmas and like the teachers don't feel like doing anything. So they show a movie. Right, right, right. I love those days. Right. It was like two or three days before Christmas, eighth grade Catholic school. We watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Nice. Crazy, right? Yeah. that would never happen to you. And I mean, like, we watched it beginning to end every scene. Like. Really? And, yes. Like, but like, b- bikini pool girl, like, yes. Now, if that happened today, we would be, it would, like, they, the, it would be on the front page of, like, Yahoo News, like, this school. <laughs> like, there would be cameras and, like, everything would be swooping down. 
I don't even think a parent blinked an eye. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't remember. I was only in eighth grade. But like, if you think about it now, that would never fly in a million years. No. Would a Catholic school watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? So what made it okay then? <laughs> Great movie, funny. Well, I know, but think about how different the world was back then in general. Like we think about the the Me Too movement, think about which I don't really, I don't know all the facts on it because it's real easy just to jump on the side of Me Too and go, yay. But here's what I do here. My honest to God belief is that women are every bit as powerful as men. They mm -hmm. show up in different ways. It may not be physical, but women are extremely powerful creatures and they are very intelligent. Like I'm sitting here looking at my life and how I would manage it mm -hmm. by myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going, I don't know if I do. I don't know if I trust myself that well. I mean, because I have a partner who's looking at me and holds me and holds me high, right? My my wife holds me high and expects the best out of me. But there's things I'm going. I don't want to do that, you know. And right. but I'm just thinking to myself. I look at her and I recognize how I look at her as every bit as powerful as me or other men that I know that are powerful. Mm -hmm. But the world has shifted because we've gone away from. You know, woman's going to make freaking uh, dinner at five. You're going to be home. You know, that whole dynamic has dramatically changed. And I think for the better, mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. Why am I bringing this up? <laughs> well, we were talking about how different things were in the world. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yes. So, I mean, and the, the part about that is so everything that is going on, people who do comedy for a living have to find the humor in it. Because you can't ignore it. I mean, if you look like the whole Louis C.K. thing. Yeah. You know, so people were giving him grief because he was getting back into comedy clubs. But that's what he did for a living. Like, what is he? He's not going to go and be a used car salesman now. Like, he eventually has to get back out there, you know? So. Uh, that this is where comedy has inspired me. Because. Mm -hmm way out in comedy is to go address it head on right like my past which we don't need to go into right now mm. all been addressed on the show extremely brutally scary off like authentically truthfully mm -hmm. i've talked about things that i go oh god i can't believe i've talked about that mm -hmm. but i have to right i have to face things head on and also I have to shine a light on my shadow, man, because I'll, I'll, I'll let the shadow eat me. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate that about the comedians that are willing to face those issues head on, especially with Louis C.K., to go back to your point. Mm -hmm. Him going back into the comedy clubs and having to just eat shit, basically, right. is, like, is the proper way of handling it. Yeah. And it's worse because what he did was like – horrendous horrendous offensive stuff but like if he can find a way to atone for it in his comedy possibly that's the way to do it i mean he's gonna have no choice like people are gonna make him pay for it whether he wants to or not so he might as well turn it into something you know a way of apologizing for the awful stuff that he did <laughs> use it you can use it for good
And even in comedy, which is not really known as personal development, there's one thing about comedy that I would like to argue that I would, if somebody was looking to get motivated and to succeed in life, I would recommend going to a comedy show over mm-hmm. a personal development seminar. Go laugh. <laughs> like, laughter is, in the end, what will is there's a there's a freedom in laughter that is is just so pure and honest mm-hmm. because think about the things that you laugh at mm-hmm. we laugh at just something silly like laurel and hardy from back in the day or the mm-hmm. honey so i'm going to send you to the moon like that used to be funny not funny now but it it, it used to be funny right the darker sinister stuff mm-hmm. that you can put a light on mm-hmm. Is is comedy is very truthful in that manner. Like what you laugh at is kind of a representation of uh, it, it, it. It's a showcase of your personality. It is. I really believe in my heart. I this is, sounds crazy, but I've had all these per- personal development people on this show. But as we're talking, I'm just thinking comedy is the best therapy, man. Comedy is the best motivational anything that you need because it changes your energy around. Like. Right. I, is that are flowing to me right now just because I'm having this conversation with you is really because we're talking. I mean, it's, this is, this is fun. This is funny. This is life. That, that's why I find the motivational speakers who can be funny too. They are the ones that like hit home the most. I agree. They make, they make a point and then make a joke to make the point. And that's why to me, those are the ones that kind of resonate the most. And I think they would resonate the most to people because if there's a person that's standing on stage and they're telling you all these different ways to live your life, if you kind of do it in a way that makes a person laugh and kind of opens them up, they're probably more in tune to listen to it and at least remember it, you know, than they would if it was just a person up there just speaking for an hour, nothing funny about it, yeah. <laughs> you know. There and there's and it doesn't resonate with your it doesn't stick with you either. There was a book, and this is a strange comparison, but it's true. There was a book called um actually he may even be watching this show right now. Um mm-hmm. it's called Neil Strauss mm-hmm. uh picked it up. It was like how to be a player or uh dead gum. Huh? The game? The game. Yeah. I read it. <laughs> it's 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 I heard him talk about it and he was talking about the when you're introducing yourself, if you can make someone laugh, cry, be pissed off at you, and you win them back all in the same conversation, you basically own them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but there's a present on stage. If you have somebody that's making you laugh, making you cry, challenges your beliefs, makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but still wins you over, mm-hmm. you're forgetting that person. You'll yeah. never forget the woman you did it with. You'll mm-hmm. never it you'll you'll never forget it it's they stick in your brain and going over the course of like my history of people the people that i've I've experienced that with are still in my life one way or the other Mm -hmm. because there's an honesty to it Mm. you know you might not always be intentionally doing that stuff but if you can do that and kind of bring the person back that there's like a a realness to it like okay this person's not going to pull any punches they're going to be honest with me right at least i know that i can you know i have that because it the, the flip side is the people who are never honest with you and you're like, well, um, can I even trust this person? Like every, everything they say is either super positive or super negative and they're just like, there's no, there's no give and take to it. So the people yeah. that can take you and win you back. It's funny that you say that 
my I don't know and I'm not saying anything bad about her at all because I, I I think she's an amazing human being but I can think of my second ex-wife literally was the most positive person I've ever met in my life and it scared me to death mm. this is not normal no one has this outlook I mean Jesus barely had that outlook it, it's I, I don't I don't get that because I can feed my mind with positive stuff all day, all night long. I can have the best quiet time, whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's days I just don't have it. There's days that I'm angry at. I don't even know what. I'm just pissed off. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and that's, but that's the reality. There's mm -hmm. days like, and I feed my, I mean, I work hard to stay on the right path. <laughs> it, may, it should not be this hard. Mm -hmm. But I, that is that's me, and I express that on the show because it's not always happy, it's not always joyful. But I that often I want to be. I guess I want to show life of what that it's like to navigate certain things, mm -hmm. be real about it, because I think that if someone can be honest about it on the airwaves mm -hmm. and on camera, then maybe that empowers somebody else to step out of their shadow. Well, that's probably why it resonates with your audience because I don't think people would stick around if you were always positive. You know, it's just like if this if 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 I tuned in and you were like always, you know, super happy about everything, like I don't know, it just doesn't it's kind of like um have you ever seen those TV shows where everything always works out in the end? <laughs> and you're kind of like, okay, like to watch <laughs> I, I you're, you're more attracted to the stuff where you're like okay things are going really bad for this person not bad you know you don't want things everything to be awful but you're like when the good things happen you're like oh great that's good for them so i think people um tune in because you're you'd be honest about okay today was an awful day let me tell you why it's an awful day let me find a way to make it a less awful day right. you know I, even the most inspirational motivational people in the world they have bad days you know like it just happens but it's it's how long you let yourself have that bad day hold on can you see that comment i was grumpy one day and i had a stroke kind of funny that's okay so if you can find humor in a stroke then that's i mean that, that's a good way to <laughs> is that real is kimberly are you kidding I was grumpy one day and I had a stroke. LOL, kind of funny. And she survived. Did she survive? Holy. Mm -hmm. So maybe, okay, so maybe people that are positive all the time, it's not a bad thing. Maybe. Maybe. I don't even know where to go with that. I mean, I think, I think laughter could help heal. I mean, you can get through a lot of stuff with laughter. Oh, so Sophie and Bob are not watching live right now because it's almost, they're on the East Coast, but they watch after the fact. Mm. And they have a life, a laugh, a laughter mindset program. Mm. Okay. And it's, it's fun. They post great videos, but the point of me telling you this is that they really believe in the power of laughter being something that helps people heal. Yeah. I mean, and, I'm sure we've all seen it and I can think of it. So um, uh, I'm recently, well, within the last year I'm separated. And um, you know, when we were going through it all, it happened a couple different times and it happens sometimes in, in like regular arguments with people. Like you could be having the worst moment 
and then something strikes you both as funny and it kind of like quit, you know, like it just makes it stop. And yeah. it, you know, you could be, you could be tearing in, you know, you could be tearing into one another and then all of a sudden like something falls off the, you know, the wall or like something and it immediately pulls you out of it. Yeah. So, and no matter how bad it gets, I feel like laughter and comedy can kind of pull you. And that's one of the things that people always tell me about the notes. And it's one of my favorite comments that I get either on the notes themselves or like to direct message and stuff. People will say, I was having a really terrible day and I was going through Instagram because that's where we go. We go with the social media when we're feeling awful. <laughs> I saw your note and it made me laugh. And for the moment, things didn't feel so bad or like things weren't so. So I just wanted to say thank you. Like stuff like that is really why I keep doing it. And I've done it, you know, now I'm on note. I'm coming close on note 400. So I've written 400 of these things. And there's more that haven't even been released. I should probably tell you that story because you would appreciate that from a comedy standpoint and from a work standpoint. Okay, so. Um, I have a 2019 calendar that's out now. And um, I was approached about turning it. It's one of those daily calendars. So 365 days, you know, there's a note a day. So I was approached about the calendar um, late last year. And they said, one of the reasons that we approached you is not just because you're funny, but because we noticed that you had 320 something notes already. So you already have a calendar here. Like, we don't have to ask you for the, you know, for work. You know, you can take all these notes and you've already made a calendar. And they sign you to a three-year contract. Now, the first 320-something notes started from when my son was born until eight. So I had eight years to do 320-something notes. But when the second calendar comes out, I have a year to do 320 notes. And now next year, I have another year. So it essentially is like being a joke writer where I just have to sit there and I have a pad and pen and I just go through things and you're just like, is this funny, man? Is this funny, man? So I essentially am kind of like a comedic joke writer, except there's no audience to bounce this stuff off of. It's like, let me write this and hopefully it's funny <laughs> and we'll see. That was one of my questions that I wanted to ask is how do you know when something's funny? Well, if I laugh right away, I know it's funny. If if I write something down and I'm like, I got to get this on Instagram now, mm -hmm. I know. Then I know it's it resonates. If I take something and go, uh, eh, there's ones that I've written like six months ago that are still kind of there. They're like, uh, if I need something, that's kind of, you know. But I've often been surprised because the ones that I don't think are that great sometimes do amazing and the ones that I'm like, oh my God, this is so funny. They're kind of like, you know. So it, it does kind of, just like with any comedy, it's funny is different to different people. Yeah. Because so with comedy and with um, jokes, the, the joke is there, the funny is there, but the nerve you're touching is much different. So we can all agree that this joke is funny but it's really funny to this person because they have a person in their life like that, or they've been in a situation like that, or they had that happen to them. Mm -hmm. So that makes it even funnier. Just as people get offended by things because it touches a nerve, 
people find things even funnier because it touches a nerve because it's something that they relate to. I want to ask um, this one's you hear about writers for comedians and you're a writer, obviously. So when Chris Rock goes on stage, mm-hmm. he's getting credit as being the funny one. Mm-hmm. He's not writing his own jokes, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that make the writers feel? Or is that just part of the game? I mean, the people that, I mean, uh, the people that write for like, um, other comedians or like, um, award shows or things like that. They've been in the game so long that they're probably like, okay, they might, they might do stand up, but they realize I'm not going to be that top guy, or I'm not going to put in the work to be that top guy, or there's something about me that is not going to be that top guy. So you kind of like get, you know, you, you basically come to terms with it as yourself. Like, I'm not going to be that person, but I can still write jokes. Some people are fantastic at writing jokes and they want no part of the performing. Like they don't want to be on stage. They don't want to be anywhere near it. So like they, I think the people that write for other people, they understand this is what I was born to do. And it's, it's funny because when you talk about people like that, it's not just writing funny stuff. It's writing funny stuff that this personality would say, like writing in their voice. That's even harder because you're kind of like, um, you know, like if I was going to sit down and write 10 jokes for me and then someone said, write 10 jokes for Chris Rock, those are going to be two completely different things. And I'm probably not going to get him right because I'm not Chris Rock and I don't understand him. So you have to I mean, I understand him, but I don't, I'm not, that's not what my life is. Mm-hmm. So the people that write for those people, it's even harder because you're writing for someone completely different. So they're like, uh, they're talented in a different level. Like they could be funny and be funny sounding like someone else. That's even harder. God. I've, it's always bugged me. I'm like, what are, so are these people really funny or not? Or are they just good performers? Mm-hmm. There's, there's also, there's some jokes that I've written that I've like given other people. I'm like, dude, I could never say this. So you go ahead and you have it. Cause I, I don't, I can't say this. So where does the gratification for you come as the writer? Cause there's gotta be a little bit of that competitive, like that's my joke. <laughs> like, I feel like for me, for stuff like that, the gratification is this joke isn't going to die in my head. You know, like it's funny but it's not me funny, right. but pull it off. So that joke is going to live somewhere and make people laugh, but you're okay with it. You not being the one to, to make it laugh, to make the laugh. I love that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when a, when a farmer goes out and plants all of his crops, he's not going to eat all that corn, but someone's going to eat that corn and you feel good with the, like, okay, so someone's going to get something out of that. Yeah. You can't have them all. Maybe I got this little one, but they, they can't all be mine. So I got to give them out to some people. Like you don't want to see the joke die, especially the really funny jokes. You're like, God, this is really funny, but this is not me. Like there's some jokes that I, there's some things that I've written down, like parenting wise, like for the notes where I'm just like, this is not on brand at all or I'm not on thing, but it's funny. And I'll be like, I, I'll table that and put that somewhere else. It's just kind of, you know. So you know you kind of stay true to yourself. But funny is funny sometimes, and you just got to, like, put it out there. That's fantastic. 
Man, I'm so grateful for you coming on the show. I had I had a lot of fun. Thanks. I did too. I I love it. I I, I could talk about comedy all day. I could talk about writing all day. Writing comedy all day. I can't talk about regular writing. That would get boring. <laughs> TV show. I've never. I mean, I have, I have a few spec scripts out there. Like I've done stuff like that. I would like to do things like that. I don't really live in the area where I could do things like that. Like I would probably have to move, you know, west coast or. You know, I'm not far from New York. I can maybe I have handed in packets for like late night writing shows, you know, late night shows. But the problem is like, you know, you have thousands of funny people admit, you know, putting in packets and they don't even read packets anymore because there's the there's the legal point of it, you know, like if I send in a packet and I write a joke and someone sees that and then that joke somehow makes it on air either by accident or like someone else, there's the whole legality of it. So basically people send in packets for the, that stuff and the people that get hired are like friends of friends, that kind of like, or like somebody knows somebody to get in. But it was always fun like writing those packets because that's where you had to write. So I did a, a, a writing packet once for Jimmy Fallon. So you basically had to write like Jimmy Fallon. So, you, you know, he's not the most offensive guy in the world. You have to write to be on the late show. But one of the things that I did love doing was uh, one of the things they asked for was you had to write like 10 of those thank you notes. So oh. you, had, you had to think in that vein of like, what would the thank you notes sound like? So that part's kind of fun. Like I always like things where it's like writing comedy, not in the way you would write it. Mm. Write something completely different. Like write, if you're not used to writing sketch, write a sketch. If you're not used to doing jokes, write a joke. You know, you know, it's, I, I like when I'm forced to do different things to find the funny. Like I've, I've tried many times, like I've, I've, I've thought like, okay, I can't do post-it notes forever. <laughs> like, where do I go from there? Like, where, where do I take the funny? Is it video? Is it podcast? Is it just, do I take the thing that I'm going to write down? Like, if you look, I don't want to give it away, but like, if you look, so I've got like a bunch written. So do I take one and just like, read it in an Instagram story and then say like, you know, I got to kind of like evolve with the platforms I'm on. So it's like, what do I do? Like, I can't put these sticky notes up forever, <laughs> you know? So it's, I like, I like the idea of like, okay, I got to take these and, and put them in a different form. Just turn them into animation. Yeah. But some of the stuff doesn't translate always. And that's hard too. like, you know, sometimes you write a joke, and it's funny on a piece of paper, but saying it out loud, you just look like, I don't know, an angry dude. <laughs> I have a really random question that just came to me. Sure. When comedy is translated into a different language, mm -hmm. how is, like, are they manipulating the text to make it funny in that language? Because again, language and the way we say things is so different. Yeah, some things are always lost. I mean, things always get lost. If you think about, you know, um, take any expression from any different language and translate it into English. And right. It sounds kind of like gibberish because, you know, most of it you're like, but that doesn't make any sense because not yeah. just the way things are said, but like the translation of it. So the joke part is hard because, you know, with a lot of jokes, there's like context to it. There's like an understanding of what this thing is, especially like puns. Like who's going to, you know, it would be impossible. Yeah. So, Chinese. Yeah, like, or anything, you're just kind of like, what, what, you know, how would you even translate this? So it's really hard 
That's why I think probably maybe like slapstick kind of stuff would be the only stuff that worked or oh, like very, very visual things, you know? Yeah. Like Ace Ventura would be funny in any language. Yeah. Or Just stuff in the, yeah. Yeah. Like there's a couple of Instagram accounts that I've checked out and followed and like they're in Spanish and I'll laugh and I don't know what they're saying. But just the way it's coming out, like you can kind of figure out what they're doing and what's going on in a roundabout way. And I'll I'll laugh just because of the delivery of it or like the the facial expression. So I think that part of comedy translates, but the actual words don't always translate. But you get the gist of it. Like you can see what's going on and kind of figure it out. In, in that way, you kind of like piece it together. But, you know, if it's funny that you bring that up. Um, so uh, when I went to college, I had a uh, communications professor whose mother came over from China and she knew no English, but every day would watch the Golden Girls in English and laugh for the entire half hour, but understood no English. And she she told us this to make the point that like, it's not always what you say with your mouth, but how you're saying it with your face. So her mother was actually laughing at the expressions of the Golden Girls or like the reactions or, so she was laughing at that part of it and not, cause she couldn't understand a word of it. So she well, didn't. I watched that show enough to remember that they were fairly dramatic. I can yeah. see that that would be looked at as funny. Yeah. I admit it, I watched the Golden Girls shut up. Mm, all right, that's a great show. It's one of the. I watched it recently, probably within the last three, three or four months. I watched like four or five episodes in a row, and I continuously laughed the entire time. I mean, sometimes it's just funny. It's it was edgy, so yeah. edgy. Oh the, my gosh! For for four older women, you know, living in a retirement community, and some of the stuff you were like, "Whoa!" Yeah. Like, and it's stuff that was like kind of probably lost on us as a as a kid. You know, you didn't quite get some of the jokes or anything. Kind of like the innuendos they put in cartoons. Right. And now when you look back and go and you look at it, you're like, wow, that was <laughs> really like some of the jokes. So when I take my kids to see some of the movies, like I'm always I always find it funny. Like when you go to, to a comedy, I always get a kick out of the jokes that you can tell like they put that in there for parents. That's not for a kid. Like, right. you know, it's specifically to make the adults in the audience laugh. Like, no kid's going to understand that joke. And you kind of, like, you appreciate those. Because it is adults writing the, the, the thing. So they're like, I'm going to put this, like, little zinger in there just to, like, so I appreciate those types of jokes. Man. I, uh, I could do this for two days, man. I, I am so grateful that you came on the show. Um, I'd love to have you back on another time. I actually, my wife is a huge fan of comedy too. Okay. okay. Like we're both starting our, like we're not, because we live in LA. So we're going to start trying to do commercials and stuff here. Mm -hmm. And she's taking an acting class. Mm -hmm. And, um, but she, one of her dreams is being a stand up comedian. Mm -hmm. so I want so I, I I I'm from her perspective. I'm very very interested to hear the kind of questions that she would come up with for you. I'd love to be on again, but I want you to tell her that I said to do an open mic night once. Just try it. 
because I will say, I say this to everyone, like people who always say, oh, I wish I could do stand up. I wish I could. I always tell them, try it at least once because I will guarantee you, you will not be the worst person there. And I know for a fact that you won't be. Because really? I, yes, you won't be. And I've always been right <laughs> because I've gone to some open mics and there are some people that are up there and it might as well be a therapy session. <laughs> like there's no jokes, there's no nothing. It's just kind of like, I'm gonna sit up here and talk for however long I get, 10 minutes. And this is kind of funny to me, but there's gonna be a lot of sexual <laughs> jokes and there's it's like toilet humor. And trust me, she, she will not be the unfunniest person there. So she should just try it. She should just go one night to see open mics and then see, oh, she won't be. Like she'll know she won't be the the, the most unfunny person there. She's okay, trying. I find out when open night, open mic night is around mm -hmm. here. I I think there's three super awesome, like amazing uh, comedy stores here, or comedy. Well, they have the comedy stores here, and mm -hmm. there's great venues here. Right, but just go and like, yeah, just 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 go check it out one night and see, and she'll. And you don't even always have people don't always like. Um, they, they always say to me too, like, there's no. Um, places to do comedy around here. There's no open mics like that. Uh, the thing about comedy is you don't have to always do it in a comedy show. Like sure. if there's an open mic that they have like um, all musical acts, just call up and say, can I do comedy? Uh, they might not be receptive. I That's one of my funnier nights. Uh, do we have time to tell one quick story? Of course, man. So I uh, couldn't get into the city as much. So I was trying to do places around me and I saw that this one bar in a very like rural area near me was doing an open mic night. And it was the kind of open mic night where like it was just musical instruments and everybody would kind of get up there and jam. So like no one even really brought their own stuff. So I was in there for like at least an hour and then all these people were like doing different like, you know, musical things. And they're like, and now uh, we have a comedian who's going to come up and I was the only comedian there. so. I walk up on the stage and the way it was set up was, so the stage is here and the bar ran down the room like this. So it kind of like circled and it went down like that. So everybody at one point was staring at the stage. So this is the stage, they were like this and they were looking at me and I started talking and almost all at the same time, everybody went and faced the other way as I was talking this way, like the entire bar. So for the 10 minutes I was up there, I basically talked to everyone's back and the back of their heads. And then, so I got off the stage. There was one guy that was laughing. I got off the stage. I got in my car and I was like, oh. I got to go back there again. See, that's what I mean. Like, those are the nights that you remember the most more than anything else. Like, I did one, um, I did one night where um, it was in New York and I was like one of like six comedians and I didn't know who the other six comedians were going to be. One of them ended up being on last comic standing. One of them was the guy who opened up for like one of the, like, uh, one of the talk shows. Like I was with five other insane, amazing comedians. I don't remember one thing from it, except that I remember the, the people that were on it, but I can tell you the face of every single person at that bar that turned their back. Like, I remember that, like, burned in my memory. So that's the kind of stuff you kind of remember. I'm, so, in, I'm inspired by the reaction is, it's not, I suck, I'm terrible, but to, I can't wait to go back. 
Yeah, I'm telling you, it's that's what's gonna happen. I'm telling you. If, if, if it's truly in you, that's what's gonna happen. So do you miss doing stand-up as opposed to writing? You know, I do. Um, I've said this many times to many different people. I miss doing the stand-up. I don't miss everything else about it. I don't miss like the waiting to get on stage. I don't miss the like sitting through terrible acts. Or, like, you know, not that I was like world beater, but like the other people that really weren't taken seriously. Right. Miss like I would have to pay five bucks just to like get up on stage. Like I don't miss that part about it. I don't miss like buying awful overpriced drinks to just to be able to perform. I don't miss anything around comedy. I do miss the 10 minutes that I was on stage or whatever long it was. Right. That I do miss. That's right. And I can always go back. Like it's always there. It is. <laughs> Never go night away and then of course you of course you would get booked though that's the difference maybe i don't know at this point i'd be so off. but there's also the great thing about comedy i can get booked you know why i could just start my own show tomorrow that's true just find four or five other people to do it with me and i'll mc i'm i won't be the funniest person there but i'll be on stage dude i want to i emceed a comedy show <clears throat> um during a fundraiser okay it was it was so much fun. I got to introduce one of my my mentor mm -hmm. and friend. I mean, I'm blessed to call him a friend, but he's also my mentor. He um he started his comedy career. Mm -hmm. Uber successful in business, like doesn't need money, doesn't and he and his whole mission in life is mm -hmm. to eat suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh he's actually launching his podcast tomorrow, and I get to be the guy interviewing him to help him launch it. But mm -hmm. I had the to introduce him on stage and I got to tell you something I I was swore he was going to eat his ass I thought he was just gonna just be mm -hmm. just be terrible mm -hmm. it was actually funny and I'm not saying that because he's my mentor and friend he was actually funny mm -hmm. do some people just have it that they can do it Where they just have that gift to just be naturally funny talking about real stuff I mean, yes, there are people, but with anything, like, you can get better at it. But I will say this. So um, how long did he do? How long was he up there? I think he did a 20-minute set. 20 minutes. So he had, I'll assume he's roughly my age. I'll assume he had 40 years to write 20 minutes. Now write 20 more minutes. <laughs> like, that's the hard that's part. Challenge. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. So, Jason, when you watch this, and we'll talk about it on your show tomorrow, I'm so excited about doing this, by the way. So, Jason, when you watch this, hear what he said. <laughs> he could be funny, but, like, you got to write the next 20. Like, when a big band breaks, like, a big band comes out, and they have a huge first album, and then they call it the sophomore slump, like, the second album. Yeah, right. they, they had 20 years to write the first album. Now the second album, they got to come up with 15 new songs. <laughs> that's why that is so i never i didn't ever think about it that way yeah that's what it was he was coming up with his first 20 minutes in his head for god knows how long using those jokes in parties in talks and everything like he's been workshopping them forever and i'm not saying his name was jason i'm not saying you're not funny jason but i'm saying like you've had time to workshop it as this as this video and audio gets distributed it's um it's like there's gonna be a lot of people that know who I'm talking about show up 
and, uh, they're gonna have some comments. It's gonna be hilarious. But no, he is a uh, he. Yeah, he's it. He's he is very funny. I'm I'm very interested to see where he goes. But his stage presence alone, and the performance of it. He wasn't performing. He was being himself. Mm. That part of it that matters. Also, like the way you sell jokes physically with you, whether it's your hands or facial expression or a smirk or whatever, like it was that stuff was really, really good. So I'm excited to see where he goes. But um, all right, my my computer's dying. Okay. <laughs> Listen, Chris Illuminati, um, I'm gonna make sure all of your links are in the comments so people can find you. And of Thank course, you. I'll have it in for the uh, radio and podcast too. Mm -hmm. I had so much fun. This was my first interview like this i didn't prepare because i didn't want to break uh break the streak okay. but i had so much fun and it was what i wanted to be which was a natural conversation and uh i hope that you come back on the show you were fantastic i love joshua i'd love to be on anytime you want awesome brother have a great great week and uh, i'll talk to you soon thanks thanks everybody wait, wait, wait anything you want to promote really quick um uh let's see so the instagram account is at message with a bottle um, I have a 2019 calendar that's available now. I have five books out. Um, basically, anything you want to find on me. Just, this sounds really egotistical. Uh, Google my name and it'll come up. <laughs> like, just go to Google and I'm probably the only one that's going to pop up. I say the same thing and go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Anyway, um, have, have a great, great rest of your week and I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, man. Take care. All right, see you. Chris Illuminati, everybody, that was freaking amazing. I had so much fun. Uh, so yeah, if any of you are watching on the replay, listening on the podcast, you can check us out at facebook.com slash gratitude unfiltered. Uh, this was a freaking blast. I had so much fun. Um, and because again, this is something I I love. I, I respect stand-up comedians. I, I love the backstories, but I think people are just fascinating in general, especially when they share their truth. And uh, you know, people's backgrounds are, fascinating especially the way that we remember them because sometimes you know our perception creates a reality that isn't true how many of us are guilty of that anyway i love you guys thank you iHeartRadio. thank you facebook thank you youtube thank you tune in thank you spreaker stitcher thank you all you guys for your downloads and support chris illuminati was amazing god bless you all have a great great evening